Hi, and welcome to For the Love of Brantford. This is a bonus episode with the full interview between myself, Zila, and Ian Aiken from the Community Legal Clinic. We speak about the housing crisis and what that means for different people. Hello, can you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Certainly. My name is Ian Aiken. I'm a lawyer and the executive director at the Community Legal Clinic in Brant, Haldeman, Norfolk. Uh, We work with uh, people in our community that are low income. The people that we work with are on fixed income. And we do a lot of housing work. We assist tenants and represent tenants with any issues that arise with their housing. So we've been hearing a lot in the news and casual conversations about housing crisis. So what does it mean when we hear that there's a housing crisis in Ontario and Brantford? Great question. And I will, I will be speaking to the impact on our clients, obviously. But the issue of housing, a housing crisis certainly depends on your perspective. You know, there, there has been a lot of coverage of the issue of uh, clients or people accessing the housing market. So, you know, if if you're making 60, 70, 80 thousand dollars a year and you're trying to buy into the housing market, then uh, most people at that uh, in that uh, situation are finding it difficult, if not impossible, to get into the housing housing market because of prices and down payment, et cetera, et cetera. So that's certainly part of the issue and part of this notion of a housing crisis. And if you talk to, uh, I do have a background in economics, but if you talk to a lot of people who study the housing market, they will start with the issue of there's a lack of supply and it's basic supply and demand. You know, there's not enough houses for the people who want to buy into the market. So for, you know, that is one perspective and it's certainly an important perspective. But when you talk to our clients about a housing crisis, it's a very different perspective and the limits and the issues that they run into are entirely different. So many of our clients, as I've said, are on fixed income. They might be receiving social assistance or disability benefits or WSIB benefits if they've been injured at work. We have lots of lots and lots of seniors who are on a fixed income that is often not enough to meet their basic needs. And we help and work with uh, many people who are employed but are in low wage jobs. Their perspective is entirely different because they simply are not able to find a safe, affordable place to rent, period. Let me give you the clearest example. The average cost for a bachelor, one bedroom apartment, even a room in a boarding house in Brantford right now, ranges between $1,000 and $1,200 a month. That's the average cost. Many of our clients, their total income per month is in the range of $1,100 a month. So when we meet with clients 
who, whose housing is at risk or they're looking for a place to rent. It isn't a matter of it being difficult to find a place to rent. It is in many cases simply impossible. So if somebody's income is $1,100 a month and they're trying to find a place to live and the average uh, rent per month is between 1,000 and 1,200, they simply can't afford it. So from the perspective of our clients and the people that we work with on a daily basis, the housing crisis means that they are simply not able to find a place to rent in the private rental market because they don't receive enough income per month. That's the housing crisis for our clients. And that's why we see people living in tents. We see seniors and the working poor uh, and uh, families with young children either staying with friends, staying with family uh, in really often, quite honestly, bizarre living arrangements where you'll have two families living in a two-bedroom apartment just because they aren't able to find a place to rent that they can afford. That's the housing crisis for our clients. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear kind of how we're looking at it from different, complete different experiences and backgrounds, really. Um, oh, complete and completely different. And, and because of that, the different perspectives and because of the different places that people are in, what tends to happen is if you are trying to buy a house, for example, you and you are making what is considered a good wage, 60, 70, $80,000, and you're having difficulty buying a house for your family or for investment or whatever, then that perspective colors what you see and you end up focusing on that. And uh, not to discount that it's a, it's a real issue, but what we tend to find in, in media and the mainstream narrative is that uh, there's a focus on that perspective and the media and the discussion, the narrative, doesn't drill down to what's happening with our clients and with people who are, you know, very low income, working poor, etc. So depending on the perspective, then you end up with a different narrative. And quite bluntly, uh, government often focuses on the dominant narrative. And the dominant narrative right now is people trying to buy into the housing market. Very important, has to be dealt with, but the issues that our clients are facing, quite honestly, are often ignored. Keeping in mind what your clients are dealing with, can you talk about why there is a housing crisis and what is being done to address it? I could make make the 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 pers- the perspective that I'm going to present as very complicated um, and very involved, but at the end of the day, 
quite honestly, it's a very uh, simple story. This has been, you know, the housing crisis and the, the lack of affordable rental accommodation in the private market has been a trend and the issue has been building for the last 10 years and in particular the last five years. But over the last two years, and this has been accelerated by the changes in the housing market, the lack of supply of rental uh, housing, and obviously COVID, what has happened is that there's been a perfect storm that has led to the lack of a housing uh, market and housing supply. There has been enormous upward pressure on rents. And we are now in a situation I was alluding to earlier where our clients simply do not have the income to pay for the uh, rental uh, housing that's available. So that's why it's very, very simple. There aren't enough affordable places to rent for our clients. And again, our clients include the working poor. So, you know, if you don't make enough money to pay rent, then you end up uh, with a housing crisis and increasing, increasing homelessness. The question of what is being done about it, again, to be very blunt, the answer on how to ameliorate or resolve the issue is very, very simple. Either the income of those people trying to rent apartments is increased through some basic income model or basic tax uh, apparatus that provides people with enough income to actually rent places. So it's either uh, increasing the resources of the poor and the working poor, or you tackle the issue of the lack of supply. The short term, I mean, there's, there's three things that can be done and that can be done very easily. It requires a commitment and an acknowledgement and an awareness by the community and certainly by government that this is an issue, it has to be resolved. But the answer is in the short term, there has to be an increase in shelter beds and shelter accommodation. I can tell you that in our catchment area, there simply are not enough shelter beds, period. So emergency shelter accommodation has to be increased. Again, in the short term, there has to be an increase in funding for rent supplements. I've stated earlier that our, you know, our clients simply don't have enough income to pay the, the, the rent that's uh, the rent costs that are out there. So rent supplements will assist people moving from shelter or emergency housing into the private rental market for a period of time. And then the long-term solution or a part of the long-term solution is increasing the supply of affordable housing. And we're not talking about affordable housing um, where 
affordable is considered $1,200 a month. We're talking about affordable and or rent geared to income. Everyone knows that there are not enough rent geared to income social housing units in this area or in Ontario. It's not a mystery. Governments stop building social housing at a level that would meet the need at least 10 years ago, if not longer. So the long-term or the longer-term solution is to build more affordable rent geared to income, social housing, cooperative housing, and that has to be done to meet that need for people who are of low income. Can you just quickly tell us what rent geared toward income is? So rent geared to income is, you know, it's it's housing that's that's built with with the financial support of you know federal, provincial, and or municipal housing, where there is uh, funding provided. You you may build uh, you may build an apartment with ten units in it. Um, the people who uh, apply for and end up living in these rent geared to income units pay a specific portion of their monthly income for rent. So for example, and again, very simply, if somebody's income is $1,000 a month, then what they would pay for rent would be roughly 30% of that total income. So they would be required to pay $300 a month and then they would, which is roughly 30% of their disposable income, which is you know, what is considered um, sustainable housing. In the same way that if somebody goes to the bank and decides I want to buy a house, the bank will look at their disposable income and say to them, well, you know, the best ratio uh, when you're looking at buying a home, if you're gonna buy a home for $500,000, then at after you put mortgage and other housing expenses, uh, when you take that into account, you should be paying about 30, 35% of your disposable income to make that house affordable and sustainable. So that rough 30, 35% of your disposable income toward rental costs and or housing costs is kind of a, a general standard. So that's how rent geared to income works. And you know, the benefit obviously of rent geared to income is you end up with safe, affordable housing. You have people who are, are able to you know, live safely. They're able to contrib contribute to their community. They're able to raise their families in a safe environment. Um, yeah. And it's, it's you know, the difficulty of course with building more rent geared to income is it takes time and it takes resources, and those resources have to come from either the federal, provincial, or municipal governments. What does the future of housing in Brantford look like, based on kind of what you've told us? And what else should we be concerned about? Or is there anything we have to look forward to? Oh, there's you know there's always uh, there's always some hope, and sometimes there are things to look forward to. I think. You know, and I, I, the, the picture is very bleak. And again, going back to perspectives, if you talk to 
uh, a young professional couple who are making $100,000 a year who want to buy a, a condo in Toronto, they will tell you that their future looks pretty bleak because they've been told by uh, the bank that they're never going to be able to afford a condo. Again, depending on the perspective, the, the outlook can be fairly, fairly bleak. But, um, you know, we also have to look at the costs, not only to those people who can't get into the housing market, but those people who are homeless or at risk of homeless, and the cost not only to those individuals, but the cost to the community as well. In Brantford, for example, we have an issue with um, the homeless who, uh, because they don't have a safe place to live, it's impacting the community. It's impacting the downtown. It's increasing the costs of policing. It's increasing the costs of the community in terms of healthcare. It's increasing any number of issues that are important to the community. So the, the cost is enormous. What is being done? Well, there are things being done. For example, you know, we have in, in place throughout Ontario and in Brantford, we have shelter beds. Everyone acknowledges that emergency housing and shelter beds are necessary and important to reach particularly uh, those who are very vulnerable. The problem is that is a short-term solution, but there aren't enough shelter beds. So what is the answer? Increase shelter beds. We have, again in Ontario, an acknowledgement that a housing first model can really help people transition from homelessness to emergency shelter to you know, some type of housing, whether supportive or rent geared to income or whatever. We understand from studies and from experience that if you meet, move someone into a housing, a safe, supportive, affordable housing environment, then those individuals are going to do better in terms of their health outcomes, their engagement in community, all of the things that are important to, um, to individuals and to our social uh, environment and our culture and our environment. So we have an understanding that housing first is important, but we don't have enough places where people can move to, where they can live in safe support of uh, uh, sustainable housing. So we have this idea of a housing first model, it works, but there aren't any places to put people. So you need short-term emergency housing. You need, again, in the short and medium term, you need rent supplements. And those rent supplements would take somebody from emergency housing and put them into the private rental market and support them financially so they can pay the rent and they can be in a safe environment. That's kind of the short, medium term. Uh, in the longer term, there has to be, uh, as I've said, uh, social housing, rent geared to income housing built to support those people who simply are never gonna be able to access the rental market. So 
the in terms of what's going to happen in the future, the future of housing in Brantford. What does it look like? Well, quite bluntly, if these initiatives and these commitments are made, emergency housing, rent supplements, and then building of social housing, then the future of uh, housing in Brantford looks pretty good because that will support the homeless, deal with the issue, and deal with a lot of these other societal issues that we see arising from homelessness. If those types of initiatives are not pursued, then the future of housing is incredibly bleak. More and more people are going to be homeless. That includes seniors. That includes people with young children. And so much of the homeless issue is hidden for any number of reasons. We don't want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge how uh, systemic it is and how endemic it is. And people don't want to acknowledge often that, that they, are, they are in crisis or they're having issues. Last week, I spoke with, met with three separate individuals who are all seniors who are homeless. One is living outside. The two other seniors are technically homeless. One is living with family and one of them is living with a friend. And in both of those cases, it's not a safe environment for them. They are homeless and they are not going to be able to, based on the income that they receive, they are not going to be able to rent a place in the private market. All three of those seniors are on a social housing rent year to income waiting list. They are considered an emergency case because they are considered homeless and their waiting list is going to be their wait time to potentially access a rent geared to income unit is somewhere between one and two years. So if you are homeless in many places in Ontario and you're on the housing list for rent geared to income, you're still looking at months, if not years, to potentially find a place to live. If you're not considered homeless, the social uh, housing list runs into you know, five, sometimes 10 years. So there's a complete dearth of that uh, form of housing. You've painted a very clear picture, I would say. I'm going to throw this question at you, if you mm. can answer it. What can we as like an individual do to push um, things into a positive direction? Absolutely. And that's a, that's a fabulous question. And uh, you know, I've been working in this area for over 25 years. Um, as I've said earlier, uh, you know, the housing crisis has gotten worse over the last five years and particularly over the last two years. But every time I talk with somebody who is either homeless or is at risk of homelessness, the one 
common thing that they tell me is that they don't think that anyone cares or acknowledges the situation. Everyone I talk to, almost without fail, says, one, I never thought this would happen to me. And two, they say that they don't think anyone cares about what's happening to them. And they all say that if they could say, if they could ask for one thing, it's that their neighbors and their friends and their family understand what's happening and care about it. They also say that until the people who make decisions about housing, and that includes the broader community, but clearly it includes the federal, provincial, and municipal governments, until those people who make decisions about what's to be done about this housing crisis, until they care, nothing is going to change. So that's where it starts. It starts with acknowledging that this is a crisis, acknowledging and looking around and listening and seeing those people who are struggling, who are homeless, who may be hidden homeless, acknowledging that, caring about it, and doing what you can as an individual. And a lot of that means putting pressure on politicians and the people who make decisions to acknowledge and care about the issue and do something about it. I think there's a, you can draw a parallel between this type of crisis and uh, the existential crisis of climate change. It seems that everybody, with respect to climate change, it seems that everyone, including uh, government, for the most part, uh, acknowledges the issue, acknowledges that something has to be done, and I would suggest, based on the science, it's pretty clear what has to be done about climate change. How do we deal with the issue of climate change? Well, on an individual basis, on a community basis, and we put pressure on our politicians to make decisions to quote unquote, save the planet. I think the parallel is that means there has to be some hard choices made. That means there has to be an enormous uh, community societal commitment, including a huge financial commitment in terms of coping and dealing with climate change. I think you can make a parallel between what has to be done with climate change and what has to be done with the housing crisis. We know quite honestly how to solve it. We have studies, we understand what works, but we have to acknowledge it. We have to commit to doing something about it. And the governments and the people who make choices about housing, building housing, supporting those people who need housing. There has to be an acknowledgement, they have to care, and they have to make a commitment. And that involves a financial commitment.
Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. And thank you to Ian Aitken for providing a basic understanding of the housing crisis. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. This will include show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We would love to hear from you if you have a question. Just fill out a form on our website. This podcast is a partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library. Your hosts are Mandy Samwell, Nathan Etherington, and Zila Ozols. For more information about the podcast, visit brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB.